Hi, beauties. This is the Beyond Beauty Project with your host, Bridget Burrick-Brown, the show that's redefining the meaning of beauty. Enjoy, and we're so grateful to have you part of the conversation. Hello, episode two. So something super cool about this next guest. They were on my bucket list when I first started my podcast, and here I am today getting to share them with all of you guys. I'm so excited. I'm super honored. Today, I am here with Lexi Kite. Her and her twin sister, Lindsay, have PhDs in female body image. They have a nonprofit called Beauty Redefine, and in their book, More Than a Body, they share proven strategies to develop body image resilience and combat a mindset focused on appearance that sets women up for insecurities and self-judgment. In our conversation, we go into all of it body image related, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am here with Lexi Kite, who is founder of Beauty Redefine, and she's also the co-author of More Than a Body with her twin sister, Lindsay Kite. Since I stumbled upon you guys, I have been so in awe with everything you're putting out there. I bought your book right away. I'm just really excited to dive into it all. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much. I am flattered and excited to chat with you about all this. So I ask my guests the same first question. I would love to know how you would define beauty. Oh yeah, something I've thought a lot about. I mean, since naming our nonprofit Beauty Redefined like 12 years ago. We've been thinking about this very question. Um, And for me, beauty is big, like beauty is expansive. So beauty as has been defined for the last, you know, century or so has been really small. It's been exclusive, painful. There's a lot of shame around it. And so when I think about beauty, I think about the word expansive. I think that it has to be so much bigger and so much more than we've been led to believe because it's everywhere. It's constant. I love that. What made you guys think I'm going to study body image in college? Is that a major? No, that's not Yeah. Like, I'm like, no, tell me like, does something spark that for you guys? Yeah, totally. When we were freshmen in college. It was 2003, a long time ago. And nobody was body image was not a word that we had heard talked about. There had been some studies, you know, there were some psychologists doing a little bit of work in body image, but nothing was popular. You couldn't find any information. No. And I remember, I mean, we write about it in our, in our book and we've talked about it a bit, but there was a very um, real, it almost felt like a spiritual experience at age 18, sitting in a college classroom, um, learning about, it was the first day of the class. I remember Lindsay and I took separate sections of the same course because we didn't want to be such twins. We wanted to try to be different, but we both wanted to be journalists. Um, and so we took different sections of the same course so we could make different friends. And I sat in that course the first day and heard just the tiniest little bit about the ways media distorts our perceptions of reality, especially in terms of, you know, for, for women in terms of our bodies, in terms of what is even real, what is normal, not even what is sexy, but just what is normal for women. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have been so deeply impacted by this my whole life. And maybe people wouldn't know it. Like I was extroverted. I was happy. I was class president every year of high school from the outside. Maybe people wouldn't know that there was constant self-loathing, constantly feeling like I was unlovable dieting since I was in seventh grade, all beneath. And so sitting in that classroom and hearing that my perceptions had been distorted, my heart pounded really fast. I kind of felt like crying. I felt like, okay, so people are studying this stuff. There's a name for this objectification that distorts our perceptions. I went home to our shared dorm room. I told Lindsay and she said, shut up. I had the exact same experience. Like we were just fascinated. It just, we love media and pop culture. And so it just kind of like 
intersected with our, our self-hatred with our love for media and it became, you know, and from there it was 10 years of college without taking a break. We figured out this line of research that, um, intersected with different fields in media and communication in psychology and health promotion. And we, we were the first twins to graduate with PhDs in the same field at the same time, at at least our year at our university. So, and so you sort of made your own, your, you path paved your own way. You're like, I'm going to put this together in this. How cool. Yeah. Like we didn't, I didn't want to write a dissertation. I never wanted to get a PhD. Nobody in our family was an academic. There was no path, but Lindsay and I like somehow, despite our best efforts to, to be lazy, we have have felt so compelled to do that. And that's, Oh, go ahead. That's like coming from above. That's how I feel about my projects. Yes. It doesn't, it just feel like, I mean, like I'm tired, you know, I don't necessarily want to run a nonprofit and get a PhD and speak about, you know, body image as my body is changing over the last 12 years. And, you know, there's a, a lot of um, hard things about being a feminist on the internet, especially yeah. over the last, you know, decade or yeah. so. Yet we just have felt so incredibly compelled to do this. And people have been absolutely starving for this information. They it is have been so heartening to see people come out of the woodwork to tell us that they've never heard anything like it. And nope. they need this work. And it's been so fun. Honestly, like when I think of your work, I think of groundbreaking. Oh, thank you. I mean, I really do. I, um, to give you a little background, I have been in the modeling world since Mm -hmm. the late nineties for 25 plus years. And, um, I just, I've always been infatuated with this stuff and just seeing the work you're doing. I'm like, oh my God, finally finally someone's getting somewhere, like actually getting somewhere. It's really cool. You're welcome. I love it. Okay. So explain to everybody what you guys mean when you say your body is an instrument and not an ornament. Yeah. Oh, that's a big one. That is one of our most mantras. That is what we want to be a paradigm shift. So in all of our work in, you know, the title of our book in this whole more than a body concept, one of the big things we want to really shake people out of their really uncomfortable comfort zones in their bodies is this idea of, of changing your perception of yourself from ornamental, from being looked at to Mm -hmm. coming back home inside your own body, no matter what it looks Mm -hmm. like because your body is yours. Your body is an instrument for your use, your experience, your life for nobody else. It is only yours. And so grown up, like feeling like we are our bodies. Like we are what we look like, especially girls and women, you know, from the time we're just yeah. little, we're, we are told how cute we are, how pretty we are. We don't see any representations of girls and women that aren't beautiful in most, even kids shows, you know, like nope. decorative beauty, ornamental eyelashes, makeup for girls. That's just what we see. And so we grow up really believing that the only way to be all of us, to be happy, successful, healthy, loved, is to look good doing it. And that's wrong. Like it, that sucks the life out of us. And so one of the things we want people to know is your body as an instrument doesn't mean that it's like a perfect tool. Nobody's bodies are perfect instruments. They're never always working correctly, you know, never over the course of your life, I'll deal with illness, injury, you know, all the things that come with having bodies. And yet this is the only body you're ever going to have. And Mm -hmm. if you live floating on the outside, looking at yourself, controlling your body according to what you think other people might be seeing when they look at you, your energy, your life is being sucked out of you. It is yeah. leaving right before your eyes. The only way to real joy, to health, to happiness is to live inside your body as your own, no matter what it looks like. You know, when you're talking about that, I think of how many precious moments or connections that we miss because we're so focused yeah. on what we look like, or we change a million times before we go out. Yeah. It's like when you said having experiences, our body gives us experiences, right? To hold our daughters or be in love. Yes. To do anything like truly to feel so defined. So there was this baseline question we asked everybody in our research. It's the baseline question in in the beginning of our book, in our course, it's how do you feel about your body? 
And the majority of women, more than 80% of women, when you ask them that question, they explain what their bodies look like. They don't explain how they feel, who they are, what they've experienced in these freaking bodies. They only talk about their worst fears of what they think other people might see. I've got a ton of stretch marks. I'm way saggier than I used to be. See these lines on my face. I'm getting old. If I can just get this under control, then I'll feel good. If I can get back to those jeans I was wearing pre-pandemic, I swear I'll feel great. I'll never complain again. But right now, ugh, not great. We talk about ourselves from the outside. And that if you define yourself by the outside, like even if it's things you like about yourself, and sometimes that is the case. Women are saying, you know, I love my eyes. I love my cheekbones. My skin is pretty clear right now. So I'm loving that. You're still talking about the outside. You are not living inside your body. That is fleeting. You can like yourself for a minute and then bad lighting, a gust of wind, hormones come up and those zits are popping. There's a million reasons for us to feel defined by your body. You're still objectifying yourself. You're still your body and you'll never be free to live. You won't. Yeah, no, because you're never perfect enough. Yeah, you're never perfect enough. It's funny. I sent out a survey um, after I did this workshop and I had similar questions about how people felt about their bodies and what they would like to see more of. And it was all, you know, I have stretch marks. I need to lose weight. I need to, it was, it was really sad. I was like, Whoa, and this is a serious issue. Yeah. You're replicating what research and also just personal experience shows, which is kind of the heart of what we feel like we're doing differently. So mm-hmm. a lot of people recognize that it's called self-objectification. When you picture yourself living instead of just living, when you describe your body at how it looks, not what you're doing. Uh, in it, This is called self-objectification. It's your identity is doubled. You're living and you're picturing yourself living. And self-objectification is the problem. And so there's a lot of really amazing, you know, well-intentioned speakers and influencers and activists that are, see this problem of, of women feeling so defined by their bodies and feeling so bad about themselves. And they try to fix it in a way that isn't actually helping. And that is, I mean, a lot of this is our critique of body positivity. When you're, when you're to expand the definition of who gets to feel beautiful, of who gets to feel sexy, of what gets to be considered beautiful. It, yeah, it's good to feel beautiful, but we want people to know you're more than beautiful. You're more than a body. If yeah. we're stuck at trying to expand the, def- the definition of who gets to feel beautiful, we're stuck still talking about beauty and bodies. We, it becomes our prison. It's all we are. We don't ask men to prove their confidence by wearing speedos and posting selfies. We don't do that. We know that no. men are more than their bodies. And so for me and Lindsay, we're trying to solve this problem by elevating the conversation beyond bodies. And that's our work in body image resilience. This idea that you can, you can name the pain you experience instead of just swallowing it, the shame that comes up when you gain weight or whatever the problem is, somebody says something about your body. Instead of just swallowing it and doing whatever you can to just feel okay, to hide and fix yourself you know, out of the shame you feel, we want people to really sit with it, to name the pain, to feel it. And then to say, I don't deserve to feel this way. This is not natural to me. I deserve to feel at home in my body. The only one I've ever had. So instead of coping in the ways I used to the constant eating, uh, the constant dieting, the binging and restricting that happens in all of our lives, the the weighing, the measuring, all that, the, the trying to fix yourself through new makeup, through new products, new procedures, new clothes that never actually solves the problem. We want people to cope in ways that serve them, that help them see themselves as more, that help them to take that pain and use it as this spark that every time it comes up, that pain is your spark to choose a new path, to use yes. your body as an instrument instead of punishing your body, you know? Yes, yes. Um, so I want to dive into the body resilience, image resilience much more, but first, can we circle back to why you think this hyper-focus on our bodies starts and why, Yeah, where does this come from? Oh, because from it's what we started, you know, studying early on from the time we're all very young from the time girls are very young Mm -hmm. from a million places, the people that love us our moms and dads, our grandparents, the babysitter, the strangers that walk past us on the street, they are complimenting our appearance. That Mm -hmm. happens from such a young age. And so when you're hearing validating comments about your beauty, you think, 
okay, that's how I get praise. Like that's how I get attention and love. And then every bit of media you consume is, you know, baby shark, the, all the male sharks are just blue sharks and the female sharks are different colors with rosy cheeks and pearl necklaces and bows on their heads and eyelashes. You realize early on that male is the default and female is the other and usually the sexualized other. So in kids media, you see the boys get to be funny. They get to be fat. They get to be black. They get to be any number of things that don't just have to be the romantic interest and the beauty. And the girls are always hourglass shaped. They always have big eyes, tiny noses, big lips, eyelashes. That's how, you know, they're female because they're decorated. They're decorative. They're They're decorated like an ornament. Yes. And so (laughs) it goes from there. We dress our girls in little dress up kits and we give them makeup kits and high heels. And we talk to them about their bodies. And then they get into very aesthetic focused stuff like dance and cheerleading, where we ask the girls to wear very body centric, body focused stuff that we don't ask the boys to do in the same sports. And for the rest of your life, you've got us all focused on what our faces look like, the length of our eyelashes, the size of our pores, the size of our breasts and on and on and on and on. And then it goes, and then it goes, then you get older. So I have two questions off of that. Yeah. How do we, we're not going to be able to shield our daughters. I mean, we can like, you know, monitor screen time and all that, but how do we educate them? And then my other question I had, as you were talking is. I do tell my daughter she's beautiful and she's pretty. I don't say pretty. I say beautiful or like, you're so cute. Yeah. And sometimes it can mean because I think she's pretty or beautiful, but a lot of times I'm just like, you're so beautiful. Like, but I, I do question myself. I'm like, should I be, should I be saying that? Do you talk about other things that are beautiful too? Like the, like nature, I think nature is a good one. Nature is, is expansive and constantly changing and imperfect and there's no ideal, you know? So I think you, you can definitely talk about beauty with your daughter. I keep it to a minimum. I Mm. definitely, and I recommend and research backs it up to really focus your compliments on who they are and what they can do. Cause there's a million other messages that are telling her she's beautiful and telling her she's not beautiful enough and telling her, her job is to be beautiful. And then telling her how to get there, you know, like the whole world outside of you is going to be based on her looks, what girls get the most attention, who gets bullied and why everything revolves around their looks. And so what Lindsay and I like to say, and what we write about quite a bit is that if you use beauty as the thing that makes you, it's also the thing that can break you. Thank you. So if beauty is the end all be all that the best thing she is, is beautiful. Oh, you look so beautiful today. Then when she goes to school and somebody says she's ugly or fat or gross, that's going to break her because her value system is based around appearance. Yes. I get that. The best way to, to help your daughter be resilient from a young age against these messages is yes. Of course we monitor screen time. We watch shows with our kids and I have a five-year-old daughter, Logan. One thing I do with her is just the other day, I did a video about this on Instagram. We were watching um, a show on Netflix and it was this new, it was called like rescue Rangers or something that featured like 10 girl characters that I thought were going to be like superheroes or doing something awesome. And they were all little tiny, perfectly identical Barbies who had that same look, the big eyes, the hourglass figures, and their little girls, you know, all just in different colors with their huge eyelashes. And I sat there and Logan turned to me because she's learned. She said, mom, is this representing girls very well? Cause she could already tell, Oh, why do all the girls have to always look the same? It is maddening. We talk about it out loud. And I said, Oh my gosh, why do they all have to look the same? Is that what girls look like in real life? No girls and women comes in, come in all different colors and shapes and sizes and personalities. So I said, let's do a little activity. Let's create our own girl characters. And so we went and we drew pictures and she drew a dog cloud that was a girl, a snowman, two snowmen dancing, the most random things, because it turns out girls can be anything in the world, not pretty. They don't have to have eyelashes to signify that they are girls. They can be anything. It was such a fun little activity. So I think 
the first thing you do is you make sure she gets really critical about every message she is seeing, including from the people talking to her that say okay. things like, oh, you look so pretty. We go to the dentist before mm-hmm. we got there. I said, Logan, I know that at the dentist, they all talk to you about how pretty you are, but you know, you could say thanks. And I, I just learned to read, or you could say thanks. Yeah. And I'm going to be a superhero for Halloween. And I gave her some ideas. Love it. Love it. No, because that's enough. That was one of my questions too, is that when people say things to my daughter and I don't understand it exactly, but it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Not necessarily when, you know, my friend or something says it out of, but like if a stranger is like, in the grocery store, like you're so pretty. I'm like, can you not like, can we not look at her? I just want to like shield her. Yep. I know because it comes up. It's this little tiny reminder to your daughter and to you that your job is to be looked at and you're doing it. You're doing it. I'm seeing you. You're fitting these ideals that are very, you know, they look good to me. Oh, it's gross. I know. Like good girl, good girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I like the so we should educate them really. Oh, from a very young Oh, I yes. need to get on that. Yeah, you do. It's everybody does. You haven't mm-hmm. done anything wrong up to this point, but we can always do better. And so yep. helping her learn from a young age to be critical that what she's seeing in media and that then is reflected in how people talk about girls and women, it's actually harmful. And it's yeah. almost time to be that way. So people will get us to spend money on things we don't need. Yep. So I think that kids can have these conversations very early on. And my daughter is super critical of stuff. The other day she had these two little friends over and they wanted to watch a show. And I heard her, I burst into tears when I heard her, I was upstairs and she said, my mom said, we can't watch this because it doesn't represent girls very well. She was saying that because it's just a bunch of boy characters and one side character. That's a hot teenage girl. And that's annoying. And she knows that's annoying now. And so she can start policing that. And from a young age, when kids are seeing a lot more stuff mediated than they're ever going to see face-to-face, one of the best things to do is really work from a very young age. And we post a lot about it to make sure she's seeing female protagonists that are doing things to move the plot forward, that are not just beautiful, that are other things too, or have nothing to do with beauty. Um, We post a lot of, um, content about different shows that are helpful in this regard. There's yep. a bunch of them on Netflix. Now people are starting to listen and then yes, past it's that, starting. It's starting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, our kids generation, they're not going to take the same BS we did. No not- way. Okay. So unrealistic body ideals. What yeah. else do you think needs to happen with advertising in particular? I would say that, um, we'll know progress is really happening when we don't have to talk about fat bodies as being fat. So it wouldn't be like in advertising and in popular media. Like plus size? Yeah, yeah. Definitely by like talking about the plus size aspect and, you know, having them at their own part of the store that you can only get online or whatever. But also just in terms of when we see a fat body, a fat person represented in media, that's always the plot line. That's always Mm. the lid. Like she's fat, but she loves herself. And look, she has a boyfriend and oh, now she's on a weight loss journey or she's fat. She's funny. She's funny, you know, and that's always the whole plot device. I know progress will start happening when we see fat women, because fat men get to do it. They get to just show up. And that's not the whole plot line when fat women or people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds get to show up and just be, and not point out, not talk about their bodies, be more than bodies that will happen in advertising and in entertainment media, people just showing up because then we don't have to talk about body positivity, like celebrating that body. Instead, it's just her. She's more than a body. She's more than what is showing up right here. She doesn't have to apologize for it. We don't have to celebrate it. It just is what it is. And, you know, like in terms of social media, we can see body diversity. We want to see like, now you can go and find bodies that look like yours. And like, I am grateful for that. When I was growing up, I did not see a single body represented that yeah. looked anything like me, which is why I felt so disgusting and unlovable. Yeah. We saw that at a young age. But now that needs to bleed into mainstream. We mm-hmm. need to just see more people just showing up as more than bodies. And as we see that, our brains change. 
like our very yeah. perceptions of ourselves and everybody totally. else change. It totally. absolutely happens and research backs it up. It thin women don't have to be the only ones that sell stuff. Uh, you can buy from all different sorts of women and men and research backs that up too. Like, yep. Ugh. I mean, it just, it makes me, I thought of like, you know, even when I was growing up, if you saw a white person and a black person together as a couple, it was very shocking, you know? Yeah. And now it's, it's, no, it's not. No, that's true. Um, I get that. So it'll change over time. We just have to keep working on it. Curious yeah. your thoughts on the modeling and fashion worlds. I don't know. I, I do I have, I think the modeling and fashion world is, has archaic. a lot. Oh yeah. It's yeah. archaic is a great word for it. I, I don't pay a ton of attention. Like I love fashion. I love clothes, but what I see represented to me online, like, I guess now I'm starting to see more diverse bodies, just like in the ads that pop up, you know, from different retailers that are featuring more bodies and not even pointing out like, Oh, we have a plus size section now or whatever, just featuring like a range of bodies you can scroll through. Like, that's all really great. I still think we have a long ways to go. It's wild that we like, from early on just started out seeing models, like very much objectifying models as hangers, you know, and that models can only be rail thin because the clothes must hang and we can't change the clothes. We have to change the models, you know, in order to close. It's wild. There's a million people talking about it. I don't know that I have anything like too unique to say on the subject. You probably have much better insight than I do. There was two TikToks. I don't know if you saw them. They went viral recently. There was a model who another model on set filmed her and she was yes. yelling at the photographer. Yes. I loved that. I was like, yes. And then there's another girl. I'm actually talking to her tomorrow where she um, was crying. She was like, this is why I hate modeling. I used to be, you know, a zero two. Did you see her? Yep. Saw it crying. In yeah. And, um, you know, and now she's a six and they told her she wasn't wavy enough, which is basically the hanger thing. And I'm like, this is still happening. You know, I mean, I see it cause I'm still in the industry a little bit, but I'm yeah. definitely doing my own thing now, but, yeah. um, yeah, oh, it's, it's maddening and disgusting. And those are arbitrary rules set by people who profit from the dehumanization of, of women, especially. It, well, it, ugh. and I see in the fashion industry that no one wants to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're scared. They're scared really? to talk about it. There's a couple people that have came to me recently that are starting to realize like, this is an issue. Like we have to talk about the eating disorders on sets. The truth is the models aren't the ones in power. When we objectify women, they become easily, um, uh, what's discarded, you know, yeah. the models are just, if the models are just hangers, then you require a certain look of them. And if they don't meet it, you toss them to the side. And I think social media is helping because we are seeing, you know, like you just referenced these two examples of women who are speaking up. And that is a way that these models will gain power that they would not have on set, that they don't have from their agencies that aren't representing them in the ways they want, because there's only a few people in power that are making billions of dollars at the expense of all the objectified models, you know, that are so they're just true instead of people. Very, Oof. very well said. That's so true. Um, can you explain the difference between body positivity and body yeah. image resilience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little more. Cause I think Definitely. this body image resilience is so fascinating. What Lindsay and I found early on in our research is that the real problem is self-objectification. The real problem, women um, who feel bad about their bodies, which is almost all of us who feel really defined by their bodies, which is almost all of us, whether you love your body or hate your body, is that we are thinking about our bodies instead of living inside of them. We are evaluating and monitoring and controlling our bodies based on how we think we look at all times. And that it is literally sucking the life out of us. Um, it, research shows that 
for women who self-objectify, which is most of us, most of the time that you can't perform as well in like reading comprehension tests and math tests, you can't get into a flow state when you're working out. You can't lift as heavy of weights, um, throw a softball as far as there's a bunch of tests. And most women are just living in this state where our, our identities are doubled. We're seeing ourselves living instead of just living inside our bodies. So when Lindsay and I really dug into this and figured this out, we realized, like I said, that a lot of the really well-intentioned people that are trying to fix the problem are actually exacerbating the problem by still talking about beauty and bodies. If you knew how beautiful you were, you would go out there and have the confidence to change the world. So body positivity is a good first step, we say. And we write in the book about how early on when we were critiquing body positivity, like six years ago, we got a ton of backlash from people who couldn't see that still talking about bodies might actually be making the problem worse because it's still keeping women in the subjectified state as bodies alone. And in the last six years or so, thankfully, a lot more people are on board this message. And our book has been incredibly well-received. It's been like the highlight of our lives. So the thing we see and what we finally got the book to actually write about it, because it's hard to do in like squares on Instagram is that body image resilience is the ultimate next step. It's the final step that takes you on a continuous path to see the objectification, to see the self-objectification you live with every day. And instead of coping in the old ways you used to, that just keeps you in this state of self-objectification. Instead, you can kick your way out of it, get out of that cycle. And that is through body image resilience. It's this theoretical model we came up with in our dissertation research, which sounds so stupid and like, oh, I love this. Go to sleep. But the truth is, body image resilience is this opportunity to see your pain and to use it, like to turn it on its head. And instead of your body shame, your the things you're self-conscious of, the pain you've experienced by being objectified through the sexual objectification you've experienced through violence. So many of us have experienced instead of that being this crutch, we have to drag around behind us for the rest of our lives, because that's just what we've been dealt. You know, this is just the hand you've been dealt by being female. You have to be pretty. You have to look good. That's why people love you. So fix it, you know, fix your problems instead of just dragging around that burden. We give people the tools to come home to themselves again and again. So body image resilience is banking on the fact that that shame, it comes back, that that self-objectification, you might experience it every day, but when it happens, like I'll give you a a real life example. Um, My husband and I, we have two daughters, um, an almost two-year-old and a five-year-old. And we got family pictures taken for like the first time ever last weekend. And we got the family pictures back last night. And I, um, as an aside, I'm definitely fatter than I've ever been. I'm probably fitter than I've ever been. I have worked out consistently since I had a baby for my mental health. My body hasn't changed at all. If anything, I've gotten fatter, Um, but I'm super happy. And my life is amazing. And it has nothing to do with how my body looks. My relationship is amazing. Everything about my life is I'm so grateful. I have all the privilege in the world, even being much fatter than I've ever been. And yet, even as a body image expert, I was nervous to get those photos taken because photos can be super triggering. I don't have to feel defined by my body, but then we got a whole bunch of pictures that included my body. And some of them I didn't love. They, they made me feel self-conscious that shame rose back up the shame that, you know, I have never totally put away, but that I cope with in ways that serve me now. And so I am in the process right now. We got those photos last night. Some of them I love. Some of them I thought, ooh, I am way fatter than I thought I was. I don't feel good about that. My reaction in the past and most people's reaction when seeing a photo of themselves they don't like is to punish themselves into submission. So you immediately make a plan. In the past, 10 years ago, I would have made a plan. Holy crap, I need to stop eating carbs. I need to get on that treadmill. I need to commit at least an hour a day to this. I have got to get myself back under control. And I would punish myself. I know that does not work now. I know that maybe for a while I could lose some weight and that I gain it back like I always do. Yeah. And that my health is worse for that yo yo dieting, that I'm more sad and disappointed in myself. Yeah, your mental health. Way. Yes. So I am in the process right now of instead of coping in the ways I used to. I sit with myself. I get back into my body, my body that is my own. I literally do the process of feeling what it feels like to live inside my body right now. 
feeling my lungs breathe in and out, feel my heart beat. I think about the fact that I get to talk to you about the thing I love so much in the world that I want people to know more than anything, that they are more than bodies, that I get to do this because I live in this body that is mine. I look down at this body and I think about that little Lexi who was embarrassed of her thighs when she was what, six or seven years old. And I love her. And I would not want that little girl that looks just like my actual little girl, Logan, to ever think those things about her body. And so I do work of reparenting myself of saying, you're good. Your body has gotten you through so much. Your body is the most freaking incredible instrument. My body gave me two babies. My body allows me to live the most amazing life. And the fact that I'm fatter, it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter. I can buy clothes that fit me. I have clothes that fit me. My life is good. So I work on continuing to use my body as an instrument, going on walks with my baby this morning, making sure that I'm not punishing myself, that I'm not making plans to restrict my food because that will inevitably lead to binging. And instead I get back in touch with who I am and I get back out there and I keep living, which self-objectification tells you not to do. Self-objectification tells you to sit on the sidelines of your life until you qualify Mm. to be. And if every woman in the world continued to sit on the sidelines of her life, instead of living and loving and just getting out there right now, how much are we missing? So how much are we missing? Literally so much. So we we cancel plans. Yes. All the time. We don't, we don't raise our hands in class. Our girls Mm -hmm. stop participating in sports. Mm. We, in every conceivable way, we sit on the sidelines of our lives and we let the men just go as they are unapologetically and apologetically from a feminist perspective. I cannot abide by that. I cannot. So I will show up anyway. I will do the speaking events anyway, even in a body that is bigger than some of those people in the room probably want my body to be, you know, and yet it reinforces my message. We are all more than bodies. We have work to do. And so we have to show up and live anyway. And body image resilience gives us the ability to flex that resilience muscle almost innately, almost naturally. So if the shame rises up, it's a very quick snap to, no, I'm not coping in the old ways No, that I will cope in the ways that serve me, that get me out there to continue living my life. And that builds your confidence and your resilience. Yeah. I'm the things that used to hurt really bad. Even the things people say, the pictures you don't like of yourself, Mm -hmm. the weight you weigh, it doesn't hurt. It's just another thing. It's just another part of life and an opportunity to, to kind of rise, to rise with resilience in the face of all of it. I love that so much. You made me tear up. So it's really just coming back to our bodies and then remembering all of the things that they do. And that we are more than a body. You're more. What's the instrument do? What does it get? What do you get to experience because of it? Yes. There's a million ways we share just a million strategies in our book and in our work. We're constantly sharing like ways that people can actually like put another tool in their toolkit that yes. when steam rises up, what can I do this time? Maybe it's a lot of people, um, reference spiritual power as a way that they come back home. So it's not necessarily mm. like going to church or what God you believe in, but if you believe that you are more than a body, you believe that you are a soul or energy. Yeah universe that you have power beyond just how you sit and look right now, that energy, those vibrations, that the prayer, whatever it is can help you reconnect to who you are, who you were always meant to be. There's a million ways, your physical power, your spiritual power, your social power to reconnect with people in your life and tell the truth about how you feel, not just the highlight reel and let people bear your burden with you. Let people say, oof, me too, but I'm reading this book. I want to read it with you. Let's talk about it. Or let's take this course together, whatever the thing might be. We can all help Mm -hmm. each other in so many ways to all rise with resilience together. What do you think are ways we can learn to value our bodies more? Do you think of that? Oh yeah. Body image resilience really, or is there? Yes. No body image resilience is very much instead of changing how you view your body, we ask people to change how they value their body. So that question right on. And we want you to feel okay about your body. We want you to feel beautiful, but 
for a lot of us, that might just be kind of out of reach because the ideals are constantly changing and we are growing up and growing older in a society that doesn't account for that, you know, that punishes yep. us. And so while you might not always feel beautiful and, and feel ideal in those ways, you can change how you value yourself. And so when you change how you value yourself, then when you take a glance in the mirror and you don't like what you see, it doesn't break you because that's not your value anymore. So even if you have a day where you feel ugly or, or whatever the thing might be, it isn't enough to keep you from still doing the thing you need to do. It isn't enough to keep you from showing up on that zoom call with your camera on because you need to connect with those people eye to eye. It isn't enough to keep you from going to the gym anyway, even though you don't think you have the right thing to wear, or those women look better than you, or you don't want to see yourself in the mirror. It isn't enough to keep you from playing with your kids, from going swimming, from going on that hike, because you are more when you change how you value your body, your whole life opens up. Yeah. That no matter what, even if you're somebody who's dealing with illness or injury and you are literally sitting on the sidelines of your life, your body is an instrument because your lungs can breathe because you can connect with people. You can hold somebody's hand and let them know they're loved. You can text somebody or email them or call them, communicate, connect with people. You can sing, create art. You can write, you can, there are a million ways that your body is instrumental that have nothing to do with it being a perfect machine that can run marathons, you know? Yeah. Change how you value your body. I I think, I think that changing the way you talk to and value your daughter for all of us is deeply important. Helping her, um, you know, we talk in our book a lot about, and on Instagram, some posts that have made people mad, but have also been very popular about how to help your daughter prioritize practicality over pretty to help her body as an instrument, not an ornament. And I get the cuteness factor as much as anybody. Like it is so fun to dress a little girl up and, Oh, she's just so cute. You just want to eat her. I get all that. And yet when we help our daughters prioritize their comfort, their, the actual, like how they feel instead of how they look, then when she's trying on her clothes to figure out what she's going to wear, then my first question, or when we're buying clothes is, does it fit? Is it comfy? Is it soft? Can you stretch in it? Do some lunges, you know, yep. do some jacks. And that's do a cartwheel. And I you know, started doing that with my daughter since oh, I heard you good. talk about that. I was like, perfect. Yes. Can you do a cartwheel with that in that yes. during recess? Cause you're going to want to do them, you know? Yeah. Then do it. And that's helping them prioritize their comfort in their body. Because from early on, we learned to stop prioritizing our comfort. Like yeah. one in the pandemic taught me was that I used to wear shoes with too high of a heel or wedge that were uncomfortable when I was out for the day. And I did, I put on the same wedges that I used to wear like two years ago. Now I put them on to go <laughs> to a, an event, a speaking event. And I immediately, I walked around my house for a second. I was like, these hurt. I can't yeah. do it. And I took them back off to prioritize my comfort with Aww. some of and that was just a way to like take care of myself and kind yeah. of reparent myself because I don't want Logan wearing shoes that hurt, you know? No, uh, oh, so my self-loving. I love yeah. that. I'm very mindful of how I speak about my body in front of my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I just always have. I went through a series of miscarriages when she was little too. So my body was always, oh. you know, being pregnant and then not. And it was, you know, very painful. I was I'm triggered so body image wise. You know, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I was very conscious not to speak to her about anything that had to do with my body and just curious your thoughts on that. Oh yeah. I mean, growing up, my mom is our biggest fan now, and yet none of our moms or these older generations knew how to talk to themselves. You know, they learned it from yeah. their mom. They said terrible things. And I remember my mom who's thinner than I am and very naturally beautiful. I remember her saying really bad things about herself, looking in the mirror and what she could wear and couldn't wear. And I'll never forget it. It immediately, you know, even as like a second grader, I remember thinking, well, if my mom thinks she's gross, then what does she think about me? You know, Yeah. I was embarrassing that I was flawed, that I was wrong. And it goes with the way we talk about food, the way moms talk about what we can eat is a big part of this that ties right in. And so, as you can imagine, I have been very conscious to how I talk about my body, food, any of it. She's never heard me say a negative thing about my body. 
I make sure the people she surrounds herself with up to this point, never, you know, our nannies or caretakers, they do not talk badly about their bodies or anybody's bodies. You know, that is so important. And yet I can't shield her forever. She's just got to kindergarten. Like these things are going to come up. I think it is so incredibly important to, even though we can't protect our kids forever, we can give them a really good foundation and then be the safe person that they come home and talk to when somebody does say something bad about their own bodies or our kids' bodies, or, you know, they're going to start hearing stuff. But I think being able to be really open with them that in our house, we are all more than bodies. Our bodies are instruments, not Mm. ornaments. And, you know, the other day I was taking a shower and my daughter was taking a bath and she saw me naked and I want her to, I want her to see all the bodies, you know, to see what's normal. And she told me I had a big bummy. And I said in the past, I would have been like, Ooh, I've tried so hard not to have a big butt my whole life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And so I said, I do. Yeah. We all, I have a really good bummy. Don't I? We all do. And I said, Mm -hmm. I like told her to shake her butt, to shake her little bummy. All of our bummies are so good. They help us sit down. They help us climb the stairs. You know, there's muscles in there. We talked all about it. Oh my God. I love that. Like a neutral way to talk about bodies that wasn't like, don't say that. That makes mama feel bad because then all of a sudden she knows, Mm -hmm. oh, that is bad. Big butts are bad. You know, they might be on trend right now, but (laughs) yeah, they are. They're definitely the trend body. Um, I love that, that neutral way of talking about it. I do a similar, I do a very similar thing. If there's any, she doesn't really comment, but if she did, I'm like, yeah, like love, I, I should add in the you know, they have muscle, they help us do yeah. cartwheels, they help us, whatever, you know. Yeah. The thing they help us do is help the help they do. Yeah. Do you think, cause I've always, I was always fascinated with this. Um, when I was younger in the modeling industry, how some girls or women just naturally feel better about their bodies. Do you think that that started from their moms or at home? Yeah. A lot of times it does. We've found this in a couple of different ways. Some girls and women feel better because they are more resilient. They have gone Mm. stuff. So some, that's one thing we found in our research that was like a real light at the end of the dark tunnel of body shame and body image stuff is that the women who feel the best about their bodies that do describe themselves for more than how they appear and value themselves for more than how they look are women that have been through it and learned to of it. So they are women who have struggled with disordered eating or have a close loved one who has, um, they're women who have been sexually abused or assaulted and mm-hmm. have used that to nobody, nobody deserves to feel that shame and pain, but we have heard of amazing experience experiences of girls and women who have been able to come out of that sort of pain through therapy, through help yeah. to see that their body is not a weapon to be used against them, that their body is still their own and that they deserve to love and treat their body with compassion. Yes. Um, and that's that resilience. And so on the one side, yes, we see some women who feel better about themselves because of resilience. That's a big portion of the women. And then I also see others who feel good about themselves because they are pretty close to the ideals or close enough that they can profit Mm. from the privilege of it. But when your value revolves around your beauty, those same women, when their bodies change and they lose that currency are absolutely crushed. Yeah. I see that a lot. And that's why we talk about breaking that value system of beauty being your power, because for some people it is, and it's only there for a little while because it is not internal yeah. to you. It's external. It can be taken away as freely as it's given. And so we yeah. have to find our power in intrinsic ways instead of just the extrinsic ways that serve us for a minute, you know? Yes. Yes. I, um, the last girl I had on, she was, she's a model and I, I know her for a while. And I was like, I, I think, I don't think you've ever really struggled with too much body image issues. Mm-hmm. Why? And I didn't know that she was really sick when she was around 23 and she could have died. And she just said that after that, she was just so grateful for her body that she just never went there. I was like, that makes so much sense. Yep. Resilience. It's interesting. Amazing. It is the, it is truly the revolution we all need. We are not going to come out of this objectifying life healthy and happy and okay progressing. If we don't get out of that cycle of shame, 
and self-harm and dieting and instead get to more like to rise in get the face more so how do we say put on a cute dress or feel like we look pretty or want to do our hair without objectifying where's the fine line in that oh uh, the line is different for everybody honestly we get mm. asked that question a lot in terms of like beauty like so you wear makeup or you like clothes or, you know, how, yeah. where do you draw the line? And I mean, the personal answer for that, we write about this in the book a little bit is that Lindsay and I have both drawn the line at anything that causes pain. Like even when it comes to injections or, you know, any sort of procedure, yeah. we're not, we're not ever going to do that. Yeah. And I don't shame or blame anybody who does. We are very explicit about this any beauty work that anybody does, I get it. I also get that a lot of it is rooted in shame, that we are not good as we are, that we could feel happier, that if we fix the problem, we fix our lives. And none of that is actually true. When you fix the outside of your body, it doesn't actually fix the shame. It might kick it down the line for a second, but it doesn't actually fix it. And so individually, I'm never going to shame or blame anybody, but I am going to point out, and that is some of what our work is all about, is that the collective pain so many of us experience in the name of beauty work that we feel compelled to do just to look like ourselves yep. is a burden that women bear. We spend billions every mm-hmm. year in the pursuit of just normalcy. This is a real burden. This is not a thing that you individually can just cheer on and say, you do you girl, if you feel better. No, the system is broken. We yep. have to we have to find a new way. So while I'm never going to shame or blame anybody for what they do in the name of beauty, we ask everybody to consider an inventory in their lives of what they do that might be fueled by shame. Yeah. So that for you is like lashes. Like if you can't imagine go- going out of your house without mascara or lashes or your eyebrows done or whatever the thing is, that means it's fueled by shame. And that's an opportunity to prove yourself wrong, to leave the house anyway. And that even if somebody says, are you sick or, oh, you don't look like yourself. Are you doing okay? It's an opportunity to be funny and say, yeah, this is actually what a human woman face looks like. You're just so used to faces that are made up that you don't even recognize me. I'm, I'm working on fixing that, you know, just something funny, but yeah. when you figure out what is fueled by shame. Then you can also figure out what's fueled by fun, like self-expression, like getting up and getting ready and going out and wearing a cute outfit. That's all fun. I think it's really interesting because I started this project. I had it in my head for years, but it was really from being in the industry and seeing myself in particular, how Mm -hmm. maybe people saw me on the outside and it wasn't matching up to how I felt on the inside. And there was a huge disconnect. And there were times where I was, you know, severely depressed or And some of it was fueled by body image or getting told I needed to lose weight or whatever. And I'm like, there's a big disconnect here. Like something, something needs to change. So I love, I love what you were saying about that. One thing we noticed early on, like we do all these speaking events and a lot of times we're, we're making eye contact with women in the audience that are like very beautiful. And there's this, even though we've been doing this forever and we get like the best feedback ever from speaking events, it's our favorite thing to do. Every time we're talking, I'm looking out at the audience. And when I see like a very ideally beautiful woman, I think she's probably rolling her eyes. Like she probably, for some reason, that's my default. And inevitably those are the women that come up to us afterward and say, I needed to hear this so bad that are crying to us because as it turns out, and we write about this too, that women who are closest to the ideal pressure, feel the furthest from it because of that intense pressure to maintain it. That if your value, your whole life is about how thin you are, you know, how pretty mm-hmm. you are and people are jealous and the men love you. Yep. You feel so defined by that, that it's all you can be. And that totally. when you are threatened to lose it, you lose everything. Yeah. It makes sense. Like for so many beautiful women, people look at them and think, oh, they have no idea what it feels like. And totally. the truth is that, there is privilege. Like there's this, this idea of, yes, there is privilege, but that privilege often has nothing to do with how you actually feel about your nope. body. Yes. No? I love that. You guys talks about, um, like disruption mm-hmm. and that was so interesting to me too. Yes. Right. When I started reading, I was like, oh my God, I've had so many of those. And my lowest was after 
or my biggest, I would say was after I lost, I was pregnant with twins. I lost them at five and a half months. And I was just, I wanted my life to go back to normal. I wanted to be, you know, in my modeling career where I was before this all happened and I couldn't get back there and the shame that I felt about myself. And that was my disruption that started me on this path that I'm so blessed for now, but I'm so sorry you went through that. I cannot fathom. Oh, I truly, I cannot. And yet we hear those really dark stories and to see the light that comes from it, to see people like you that take that. And instead of sinking to the bottom, you push off the bottom and rise. You came home to yourself instead of punishing yourself, which you easily forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is just the most beautiful example of resilience. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I want to finish up with the fitness world a little bit because we didn't touch on that. Um, and I think that that's also maybe a little bit parallel to the, you know, body positivity in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think getting healthy gets very connected to getting thinner in our society. And, you know, if you're tiny, you have abs that equals healthy. We all know that that's not, well, most of us know that's not necessarily, we know that's not true. Um, I know that that's definitely not true from coming from the modeling world and seeing the very unhealthy ways people get to that point. So what do you think needs to change in the fitness and wellness industries? Oh my goodness. Big question. It all comes back to our mantra, truly. Like if, if the fitness industry could truly internalize and perpetuate the message that your body is an instrument, not an ornament, they would actually get people to real health and fitness because fitness, as you say, it's internal. What all the research shows and also what like real personal experience, like my own of being fatter than I've been in forever and fitter than I've ever been. Yeah. Is that those two things, fitness and fatness, those can happen at the same time. And nobody's yes. ever that message ever. All that has happened in this deeply fat phobic, deeply objectifying world that yeah. is all fueled by dollars, that is all fueled by profit is that we believe that fitness has a look. It does not fitness influencers that are being honest. Many of them will tell you that the times where they appear the most fit are when they are practicing the most unhealthy behaviors, starving themselves, starving, dehydrating themselves. Yes. Yes. It's just what it is. If you look at your own life, your fittest times weren't necessarily your thinnest times. Yeah. Truly. Like this is true for all people. You go to a marathon and you can see it. There are so many different types of bodies that are able to move and work out and run and lift and whatever the thing is, but they don't fit the aesthetic ideals that the profit driven weight loss diet and fitness industries have led us to believe yeah. the truth is that fitness is internal, that if you are really focusing on your fitness, then your goals would not be objectifying impersonal goals. Like your weight. Wow. It's your, so objectifying in that world. Your goals would be internal. They would be, I want to get my cholesterol down. I want to get my resting heart rate down. Mm-hmm. I want to stay at this heart rate for this long. I want to do this many reps at this weight. I want to have more energy. I want to have more energy. I want to feel better. That's why I started working out consistently Same. right after I had a baby. It's been amazing. Mental, mental health. Yes. If I don't work out, I'm like a crazy person. Me like, too. Give me a little run or a jog or something to sweat. I feel the same way. It just helps me get out the anxiety that often, you know, keeps me from even it helps you and in body image resilience in our research, we found this so much that if you want to feel better about your body, you move your body, like you use your body, the endorphins will flow. Uh, Your body gives you those chemicals that tells you your body is good, that you are more than how you appear because you're using it. And it's fun to work out or move your body when you're doing it to feel better and not to punish yourself. Yes. It's sustainable too. A lot of research shows that for women, we set these workout goals to look different. We set aesthetic goals and then almost inevitably we don't fit the aesthetic goals. We thought we would, our bodies Mm -hmm. don't look like we thought they would when we hit that, the weight, the 
abs, whatever the thing is. And so then we kick the goal down the line. We set a new goal or we stop and we sit on the sidelines because we feel a very common phrase, too fat to exercise. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's so sad. Yeah. And yet well, it's sad because they're, they don't even want to go into gyms. People don't want to go to gyms yeah. to work out or, you know, they're ashamed. Exactly. Yeah. That's self-objectification. That's sitting on the sidelines of our lives. It's so crazy too. Cause I think some of us don't even know what our bodies would actually naturally look like because you know? we've been pushing them and shoving them for so long. No. Yeah. And I, know. I think that that shame we've all been taught to feel about letting ourselves go, you know, keeps yeah. us from even being able to envision just like living and not restricting. Yeah. And, and the truth is like, I have, I have proved to myself that my body, I got off the yo-yo dieting train the last few yep. years. I, I have gained weight, but nothing in my life changed for the worse. It only changed for the better. Yeah. Like in every yeah. way we're sold yeah. the lie that when we gain weight, that like we lose our happiness, our love, our career success, whatever the thing is. And, and for me, that's not true. And for so many yeah. people that have the privilege to push back on those ideals, yeah. I highly recommend you do prove yourself wrong. Yeah. See how it feels wrong. It's good on yeah. the other side, you know, of getting back to your body. Yeah. Maybe you lose the privilege of some dudes, uh, looking back at you when you're crossing the street, which was never a privilege, you know, no. you might lose the privilege of people complimenting you on your weight loss. That was never a privilege. That was just them complimenting you on getting closer to an ideal they've internalized. It wasn't really ever about you, you know? Yep. I always think it's interesting when people comment on bodies, like adult to adult. I'm like, why are you doing that? Why? (laughs) Does it make you them feel good? They're probably like, well, what did I look like before? I know. Okay. Are you ready for my beyond beauty round? Yes. My first question is, when do you feel you're most beautiful? Oh man, when mm-hmm. do I feel most beautiful? That is such a hard question. <laughs> um, what are you um, doing? That's a I, what? Like with my husband, like we're cuddling, we're watching a show. He's scratching my back. Like it's when we're like together yeah. and it's like, I don't know. It just makes me feel safe and loved. And, and it's never when I'm like, actually my most beautiful, you know, like I'm never done up when that stuff is happening. (laughs) You're probably in sweats. Your hair's on top of your head. My hair's in a bun. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, totally. All that. But yeah, that's probably it. It's about action for me, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, do you have a favorite mental health tip or practice that you do? Yeah, it's, it's definitely what I kind of alluded to the practice of getting out of the anxiety cloud in your head. That for me is often self-objectification and coming back into my body. So it's a literal practice of breathing in and out, softening my belly, like not holding my stomach in, like we've all got to do. And then going through all my senses. What can I smell? What can I see? How do my feet feel on the ground? How does my butt feel in this seat? You know, if I'm sitting down, like actually getting back into my body, um, is, huge for my mental and physical health. Yep. Yep. I love that. Something you're inspired by right now. Mm-hmm. Something I'm, I'm inspired by lots of things right now. I am inspired by not, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like women like you who, who take opportunities to be more and do more, you know, like rise with resilience in the face of stuff that can be hard and rise with resilience in the face of the opportunity to also just do nothing, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I think that there are just so many incredible women, incredible people, but I'm just surrounded by so many awesome women who are just like leading the way to a world where we are all so much more. We are doing it. Totally. We are. It's our time. Totally. Okay. Last question. If you could go back in time and tell little Lexi something, um, about body image, beauty, what would you tell her? 
I, I would tell little Lexi that her body is an instrument, not an ornament. And that living her life with that mantra, even if she's so little, she doesn't quite get it will change everything. And we'll point her in the direction of like actual happiness and love and success in a way that that ornamental perspective that I grew up with never did. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so cool. I learned so much and I'm just so honored that you came to talk to me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. You asked awesome questions. It was, you're great. Tell my listeners where they can find your book more than a body, where they can find you on social medias. Yes. So more than a body, your body is an instrument, not an ornament is available anywhere. Books are sold and on audiobook. Lindsay and I had to audition, um, to read it and we won. So we read our own book on audio. That's amazing. (laughs) Hilarious. Yeah. It it was super fun. Um, yeah, you can get it anywhere. It's in hardcover right now, paperback at the end of the year. Um, Oh, thank you. And then you can find us on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined on Facebook at beauty redefined. And our website is more than a body.org. Love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining another Beyond Beauty Project conversation. Let's continue to support each other with kindness, empowered voices, and self-love. Visit us at www.beyondbeautyproject.com where you can find all of our socials. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And listen, Bridget would love to hear from you. Don't be shy. So send us a DM or an email with your thoughts and what you want to hear about. See you beauties next time. This podcast episode is designed to be for informational and discussion purposes only. I am not a doctor and I'm not trained as a medical provider or counselor. I do not provide medical care or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition on this podcast. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal medical condition. Do not disregard recommended medical advice or treatment or delay in seeking professional medical advice because of information or content obtained from this podcast. If you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, please contact your own healthcare provider promptly. For urgent medical needs, please contact your healthcare provider or call 911 immediately.